Welcome back to Current with Valerie Hayes on TalkZone.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we're spending some time talking about important issues that impact women. And one of the ongoing hot topics for women of all ages is access to birth control. We spent the first two segments of today's show discussing issues related to access to abortion. And access to birth control is a highly related topic on both an intellectual and a real world level. So let's first identify the two different groups on birth control. There is the group that feels that birth control is an issue for individuals and families and should be handled in the home. They oppose conversation or education about birth control in the schools, and they also oppose distribution of birth control through the schools or other community-based organizations that might be available to youth under the age of 18. So that's our first group. And then there's a second group that believes that by providing access to birth control through schools or community education um, programs or community groups, that this helps prevent unwanted pregnancies because youth or teens are often reluctant to talk to parents about sexual activity or an unwanted pregnancy. Parents don't necessarily know how to talk to them. And so they're just trying to take a quote-unquote real-world approach and make sure that children have education, which might ideally be taking place in the home, but may not be any conversation, if at all. So those are the two groups, the groups that feel that it should be handled within the family at home and the groups that want to recognize that that's either not taking place at all or they're not getting the best and most current information and so that they feel why it's a community-based group. Why do they feel it's a community-based group? Like, you know, what, you know, if, if a young teenage girl is pregnant, why does the community or government care? Because oftentimes, um, studies show us that teen pregnancies, individuals who experience a teen pregnancy, oftentimes they drop out of school, they're unable to get a job that supports themselves and their child, so they have to go onto a social service program such as, uh, Medicare, Medicaid or welfare systems or support systems that provide food stamps. And so they're saying if we supported birth control education and access to control for teens up front, we wouldn't end up paying out money later to support the child and the mother, um, you know, the, the pregnant, the teen mother or the uh, the mother who is unable to get a job because she has young children at home. All right. So before we go on, let's talk about generally speaking, there are two different categories of birth control. There is the preventative or proactive birth control, and there is the emergency birth control. The proactive or preventative birth control is probably what most of us think of on a regular basis. These are the barrier methods like diaphragms and sponges or the hormonal methods like birth control pills or the rings or implanted devices like the IUD. I know we all see those commercial. There's a commercial right now on TV with that girl and the guitar, right? She's doing, um, that's an implanted device. And then there are the emergency uh, contraceptive. And this is what we typically call the morning after pill. There are a variety of different morning after pills. And this is the area that many, many people particularly have a problem with right now is these emergency um, uh, morning after pills being provided to youth uh, under the age of 18 without permission or knowledge from their parents. So um, why is this an issue? The emergency pills, because many people feel that there are two issues regarding the emergency birth control pills. One is that it is uh, a pill which 
chemically produces what could be determined to be an abortion. It, uh, if there is a fertilized egg that has attached itself to the lining of the womb, the morning after pill creates a chemical environment in the womb that detaches the fertilized egg from the womb so that it just flushes out of the system in what might be considered to be a normal period. So the the philosophical or religious concern of these people is that this is a medically induced or medically created abortion. And many religious groups are opposed and, and other individuals, non-religious groups are opposed to abortion. Therefore, they are opposed to providing the emergency uh, pill. The recent court ruling earlier this week about the pharmacy, you may have seen that in the news. There was a family owned pharmacy, so not a chain, a family owned pharmacy that was uh, did not want to sell the morning after pill at the pharmacy because they were stating that it was a family-owned pharmacy and that they had family religious beliefs and that because of those religious beliefs, they could not support any type of abortion and they felt that they could not provide any type of medical drug or uh procedure that would create an abortion. The Supreme Court did not rule in support of them. The Supreme Court ruled that since they was a pharma they were a pharmacy and uh, that they had sort of chosen to be a pharmacy, um, that they had a right and obligation to the citizens of the area that they served to provide all medically acceptable and approved uh, drugs. And, of course, the morning after pill has been approved by the Food and Drug Administration for um, distribu- distribution. And so uh, the court held that because they were a pharmacy, that they had a legal obligation to provide to their patients, to the clients that they served. They had a legal obligation to provide all federally acceptable drugs if it was prescribed by a physician. So that was an interesting ruling that was sort of different from the Hobby Lobby case, which you recall from several years ago, where Hobby Lobby um, uh, sued uh, the Obamacare saying that they should not be required, they, Hobby Lobby, should not be required to provide uh, the morning after pill as part of the health care insurance that they provided employees. If you're an employee of Hobby Lobby, you get health insurance, right? And as part of that health insurance, they were happy to provide access to their employees for all other types of um, birth control that were proactive, you know, the birth control pills, a sponge, an IUD. But they felt that from a religious perspective, they could not provide access to the morning after pill because they felt that the morning after pill was abortion. So they were willing to provide proactive or preventative birth control, but they were not willing to provide emergency birth control. And they used the same argument that since they were a family-owned business, um, you know, it's not a publicly um, owned organization, uh, that because they were a family-owned business, that their religious beliefs could be, um, you know, they could be expressing their religious beliefs through their uh, through their business. And so the Supreme Court did agree in that case with Hobby Lobby that they were not required to provide access to emergency birth control the morning after pill to uh, include that in coverage to their employees. What is the difference between those cases? Because it's both about emergency contraception of the morning after pill. The difference is Hobby Lobby is, you know, it's a hobby store. <laughs> they have crafts, they paint, glue, sparkly stuff, things you put on the wall, floral arrangements, this kind of thing. So their main business is to provide decorative and crafting products 
to their clients, the people who shop there. And their issue was that they didn't want to provide um, the morning after pill uh, because it was uh, in conflict with their religious beliefs, right? So they were not a pharmacy selling drugs to people. They were a hobby store. So the difference is in what type of business it was. The pharmacy, according to the Supreme Court, has an obligation. If you're going to say you're a pharmacy, you have to sell people the drugs that are approved by the Food and Drug Administration and are appropriately prescribed by a physician. So what their concern was, the Supreme Court, okay, so what if you don't like this cancer drug? What if you decide you don't like this drug that people take for, um, you know, a heart murmur? I'm just making that up, right? So they felt that it was not appropriate for the pharmacy to decide which types of drugs they would or would not sell. They felt that that right and privilege um, lodged with the Food and Drug Administration, that the Food and Drug Administration would make that decision, and that the pharmacy, because they are a pharmacy, has a moral and legal obligation to sell any federally approved drugs as long as they are, um, you know, prescribed by a physician for the condition that the patient has. So that's uh, the difference between those two cases, because I know that was confusing to people when it first came out. Now let's talk a little bit about um, the concerns about education and access to birth control. And I have to say that I totally agree with people that ideally, in a perfect world, if everything was lined up perfectly and we're all holding hands and singing kubaya, and if the sun shone every day and we never had rain, then yes, birth control and sexual activity would be discussed in the home. It would be discussed between the parent and child. Education would start early, probably late elementary and maybe pre-teens because we know that, that youth are now active as young as 10 and 11 years old now. So so that is the concept that those conversations would be happening in the home and that they could be ref- be framed by the parent in a religious and philosophical perspective that reflected their own belief. So if you felt that all sexual activity outside of marriage was a sin and offensive to God, you could present that. If it was um, just something that's not recommended and can create trouble for you in later life, that would be okay too. Um, so that was kind of I I think that that is a reasonable perspective. However, the opposite side says, well, yes, that might be an ideal world, but in the real world, that doesn't happen. People don't talk to their kids. They're embarrassed. Uh, They don't have time to talk to their kids. They're too stressed. They might be working two and three jobs. We might have cases where uh, the family member is raping or sexually assaulting the child, and of course, they're not going to make sure that um, they talk to them about, you know, no means no, and what is sexual assault, or how to prevent a pregnancy um, because they are really in charge of the child's sexuality and sexual activities. So I think that, um, you know, those who are in favor of sex education and passing out condoms in school or making that sure that people have access to birth control at low cost or no cost are doing it because although they might think in a philosophical world it would be great if that happened within the home, they're thinking that in a real world it doesn't happen. We know it doesn't happen. There's statistics that show it doesn't happen and that providing sex education in the schools or providing access to barrier birth control or hormonal birth control, again, the pill is the hormonal birth control, um, that we're going to be able to reduce teen pregnancy and that by reducing teen pregnancy, that's where we get to the issue of 
women and children living below the poverty line because most women and first of all most people living at or below the poverty line are single parents many of them are young single moms and the vast majority of those living at or beyond below the poverty line experienced a teen pregnancy so much so that studies indicate and many groups claim that it's almost uh that a teen pregnancy is almost a life sentence for the woman and her child or children to be at or below the poverty line and uh so these groups that advocate for full range of reproductive health options and education for people outside of the family are doing it because they think this is a way to ensure that women and children do not experience this economic disadvantage of a teen pregnancy and that the the young woman instead of becoming pregnant if she decides to be sexually active can move on to be educated and get a career and decide to start a family when she's ready so those are the issues around access to birth control as well as the issues around abortion, I encourage you to think it through and make your own decision. Remember, if you have a question or topic that you'd like to me to cover in a future episode, just send me a note at info at ValerieHayes.com, and we will cover it in an episode. The last two shows have been based on feedback from listeners like yourself, so we really do take that into account, and we really do include it. So send us an email, info at ValerieHayes.com, and we'll put together a show for you so that you can get the information you need to feel informed. After all, it's okay to have your own opinion as long as it's an informed opinion. Hi, this is Valerie Hayes, and I want to let you in on a secret. I've just created the perfect do-it-yourself coaching resource to help you learn how to improve your own pageant interview skills. My Mastering the Pageant Interview DIY coaching resource includes three downloadable audio files plus transcripts for easy resource. You'll learn how to spot and handle trick questions, the correct length of an interview answer, three tips for closing an answer when you're struggling, my easy technique for answering controversial questions, two secrets for a winning onstage interview, plus much, much more. Just download the audio files and transcripts to your computer and listen when you're working out, doing something around the house, or really just about any time. What could be more convenient? To get your copy of Mastering the Pageant Interview, just visit my website at ValerieHayes.com and click on the Winning Interview tab to order yours today. It really is that simple to quickly learn tips and techniques that will help create your winning interview. Have you seen the brand new line of pageant, prom, wedding, and elegant evening jewelry by couture designer Stephanie Summers? Her custom couture line established Stephanie as the leading pageant jewelry designer, and now she's created a budget-friendly jewelry line so that anyone can look amazing in one of her designs. Shop-StephanieSummers.com has your style in the perfect color you're looking for. So visit Shop-StephanieSummers.com today and enjoy knowing that even though you stayed on budget, you look like a million. Are you totally stressed out about tough current events questions for your next pageant? Well, I've got a solution for your current events nightmare. Everyone feels overwhelmed by the time it takes to keep up on current events. But I've solved that for you with my weekly current events update. You'll get an email each week summarizing the top stories, plus you'll get sample questions to practice on your own. So visit my website at ValerieHayes.com and you'll be ready to rock those current event questions at your next pageant. 
Are you a pageant contestant in Arkansas, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, or Oklahoma? If so, Van Brosen Associates can help make your pageant dreams a reality. Van Brosen Associates are the producers of Miss USA and Miss Teen USA state pageants in the five states of Arkansas, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and Oklahoma. To find out more, go to vanbrose.com and connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash vanbrose. Once again, that's vanbrose.com, V-A-N-B-R-O-S.com. Are you ready to be Miss USA? 